What's up, guys? Uh, welcome back to the Go Work Wherever podcast or the Work Wherever podcast. We're still working on that brand because we have rebranded. We're no longer the Innovare podcast. Uh, we've, we have moved past the innovation portion. If you guys enjoyed the Innovare podcast and you liked hanging out with us, we liked hanging out with you too. You can still catch all those old episodes. Um, but here today in the uh, Work Wherever podcast, we have Nate Hirschberg, uh, a former Virginia resident that I just found out, and he fled the the greatest commonwealth in the union uh, to go elsewhere. Um, and he is of Stag Mountain Properties, and we'll welcome in Nate first off, and then we'll get into what you do. But welcome on into the Work Wherever podcast. Oh, thanks, Roy. Appreciate it, man. We just need to get you down here to Charleston, and, and you'll see the light, man. You, you won't be tired. You won't miss shoveling snow, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yes, I hate shoveling snow. Uh, it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, yeah, out in Funchester, uh, you got plenty of space out there. You did have plenty of space out there out in Funchester, but I do, I do agree, dude. The 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 snow. They they say you know four seasons and all that other. Oh, we have four seasons up here. Yeah, we do. Um, but the snow sucks. So yeah. you were very smart to get to get the hell out. So. Um, now I could tell, talk about everything that you do and who you are and, and, um, completely butcher that, but how about we just start this out to, will we talk about who you are and what you do and then, um, how, and then we'll get into how we, how we can help and we'll get into the topic of remote. Let's do it, man. Yeah, no. So I appreciate you having me on here. Uh, Nate Hirschberg, uh, here in Charleston, South Carolina, and, uh, I'm in the real estate space. Uh, so I, uh, primarily fix and flip. And I do that fully virtual, which is how we connect on you on that. And, you know, people hear how you know, fix and flip fully virtual. They usually don't go together. Uh, so it's it's a cool thing that I've been, been able to do. And I'm, I'm happy to share some of the tips and strategies that taught me how to be able to do that successfully. Um, this year, uh, my team and I, which is fairly skeleton, but we'll we'll do about 70 to 80 flips fully virtual. And that's across a couple of different markets, uh, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and Tennessee mostly, uh, with some stragglers in there. Um, and then, you know, do a little bit of commercial real estate, have some rental properties and some commercial rental properties. And the final vertical to my business, if you will, is um, I love giving back. It's a huge passion of mine. So uh, I've been able to start an education platform that has over uh, 30 people that have successfully started their real estate career through investing into real estate and um, a handful of them have been able to quit their w2 jobs so 
it's a little bit about me and you know what I'm up to right now. Nice, man. So you're right. First off, <laughs> the flipping industry is not one that people think about as a remote business or a remote organization. So I get pushed back a lot from people that say, oh, you know, remote's not for every industry and every industry is different. And there are certain industries that'll just, you have to be hands-on, right? Which real estate and flipping homes is is one of the ones that I get of people bringing up a lot. Yeah. But you've managed to do it. There's there's others that I've talked to that have managed to do it. So first off, before we get into the how you were able to do it and, and the things that you're able to do and the things that you put in place, what, what was the decision that ultimately led you to saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this a remote organization. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a couple different catalysts, if you will, but really the number one thing was COVID when, when things shut down, you know, people stopped letting them in, letting us into their homes to look at them, to buy them. Um, and we just were forced to pivot a lot of our, acquisition structure, if you will, because I do all direct to seller marketing. I am a licensed real estate agent, but for this, I go directly to the seller and ask them if they would like a cash offer for their home. And it just was like one week into it, they're like, well, let's just see what happens. I'm, I'm not letting anybody in. And that fast forward, it was, you know, five weeks. That's a conversation in itself. But we were like, well, this can't continue to happen. So we just got creative and said, hey, how can we do a lot of this stuff virtual and we just started at the front you know I'm, I'm just like let's start with one thing at a time and as a team we're going to build this out this will not suffer our business and in fact the result was spoiler alert it actually improved our business and we became more profitable we had more time and we were able to scale a lot more so i think the catalyst for me amongst many of them but the the where it put my back against the wall as a leader of the organization was COVID and I just, I can't let the, I can't let things slow down. Yeah. So that, that was kind of the big driver of the last couple of years, right? Is yeah. prior to 2020 remote organizations were not the norm. And right. a lot of, a lot of organizations kind of saw it as a luxury to say, I could do that remotely, but you know, well, that would be nice. You know, whereas 2020, forced us to do it for one. Like there, there was there was no real choice. If you wanted to stay in business and you wanted to stay productive and stay working, you either thought you're gonna just wait out the restrictions um, or you had to get creative. And so yep. that's that, that was a lot of the innovation that had to take place, which we talked a lot about that on previous seasons of this podcast where just how, how businesses were innovating. But now you have the choice to return to work and do business the way that you were before or you can choose to stay remote. And it sounds like you're choosing to stay, you're, you're now, you say, look, I, we, we were more profitable. We were able to service a larger uh, service area. We're able to do things that we weren't able to do. And so this is a choice now to remain remote, right? Oh yeah. I mean, before that, we, and my team and I, we were only flipping in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, we had majority of the market share here, which uh, for anyone watching, to quantify that we were doing about 30 to 40 flips a year um for this little small charleston proper metropolitan area is pretty good but then being able to then go wider with the procedures and the risk mitigation operational procedures that we put into place um then that's what took us from that 30 to 40 
to hopefully, you know, keep trending up closer to the hundred mark. Um, profits don't change. Timelines are actually faster and you can then recruit better talent because, Hey, I can recruit someone that lives in DC that might be a better, you know, operations manager or something like that. Whereas before they had to be right here in front of me. So let's, let's start with the challenges, right? Before we get into, it sounds like there's a ton of benefits that you're just jumping on, which I want to hammer those home, but I want to set the table with the challenges first, because working remote is not the easiest thing to do on the planet, right? It, there, it takes major infrastructure changes, or at least at the very least conversations that you, and an understanding internally inside your business that you know things are going to run differently. So what were the initial challenges, COVID aside, obviously there was COVID and we can talk about COVID, but once you decided, you know, this is, this is the way that things are going to be and we have to do this, what were some initial challenges that you saw that you immediately had to overcome? Well, you know, one of the biggest things was when I told, I told some folks that I was going to start doing virtual. I'm like, guys, I'm not waiting this out. I'm going virtual. And People were like, you're insane. Like, you're, you're crazy. How are you going to buy these houses without ever stepping foot in them? You know, how are you going to manage these contractors without ever doing a site visit? Like, you you might lose your ass. And I, was, I mean, you, you might be right, but I'm at least going to try um, instead of sitting on my hands here. So challenges was 100% labor management. Anyone in the space or has done any renovations knows contractors and labor workers, unfortunately, they're just not the most reliable people. So that was a number one struggle, but then also going through the sales cycle. I mean, that had to completely change. We strived ourselves on meeting with the sellers of these properties, building tons of rapport uh, in person. And because of that, we were super successful. And now we're not going to meet them. This is all building rapport over the phone. This is all getting pictures of the property to determine conditions, the condition of the home, and then build scopes of work for our contractors based on pictures, um, and then putting some risk mitigation on there by confirming details with like home inspections and things like that. I would say that was the number one struggle was just managing not only the difference in that sales cycle, taking it from in-person to virtual, but also then after you buy the property, well, now that's cool and all, but you, now you got to flip it. And now you have a whole crew to manage and trust that they're doing what you want them to do um, to your perfection level and that it's going to turn out good. Yeah, so I bought a house over the last couple of, I'm one of the crazies who went out and um, purchased purchased a house and sold a house during yeah, you know this whole remote everything. Right. Yeah. So, so some of the things that you're talking about, I saw and I, I enjoyed. So I also bought a house prior, prior to all this and remember how much paperwork there is and how many steps and how honestly horrible of a process it was to, to purchase a house and go through that whole thing prior to. Right. So yeah. for for um, reference, I purchased my first house in 2014. So remote anything real estate was, it, I mean, Redfin existed and that was a, about the extent of purchasing a home remotely, right? Sure. Uh, fast forward to purchase, I purchased in 2021. That process was largely streamlined and digital. Whereas if I wanted to see a house, they have virtual walkthroughs of oh, the yeah. house. They have 
uh, zooms you could do with an agent. So the agent walks through the house. So you could do that. I assume you're taking, when you're talking about, you know, risk mitigation and understanding some of these things, are you working with agents who do walkthroughs or like what, what, how far are you pushing this remote technology of what we have today in, in taking a look at some of those risks? Cause when you say that you're not seeing the property, you are, you're just not banging on the walls, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm leveraging multiple facets there, right? So first kind of pulling back the, the onion there. The first thing I do is I ask, you know, pictures from the seller. And I'm very specific about what I want. Interior, exterior, under the sinks, electric panels, um, hot water tanks, HVAC units. I get all that. Assuming that comes back in good condition about what they you know, told me it was going to look like, then I'll then take it to the next step, which is ordering a, uh, it's called a four-point home inspection. They're not looking for cosmetic defects because, let's face it, the most of the properties I'm buying, they have a lot of those, and I'm okay with that because that's how I get a good discount and can make money. But what I'm looking for is, you know, an HVAC unit, uh, is there foundation issues, is the roof about to cave in, big things that are going to really adjust your budget and you want to know about. And then also what I'll do is I'll send the pictures from the seller to the inspector and say, hey, can you cross compare to make sure that these weren't taken like 10 years ago? And now today it's a lot different. And then the final thing that I'll do um, if things just kind of aren't lining up, is I'm a big fan of relationships and boots on the ground. I leverage real estate agents heavily. I make it worth their while. I'll compensate them. But if a, if the seller is you know kind of being shady and the home inspector can't get in there, maybe I'll send a real estate agent by and we'll do a Zoom tour or a FaceTime tour. And then I'll also leverage them on the renovation side of things, saying, hey, can you pop by once a week? and just take a video walkthrough, upload it to a Google Drive for me, and I'll look at it and just make sure things are tracking the right way. Yeah. The amount of processes that we have now that are digitally, where you can communicate with things like that, like you can jump on a Microsoft Teams meeting or whatever and see the video through or, you know, share a document link out. It's like, hey, send, drop some pictures in the cloud for me and then I'll take a look at them. Right. But one of the things that I loved the most about the buying process was the other side of it, the customer experience, right? Because I, I was the buyer, right? You're, you were do, you're doing something totally different than what I, than I experienced that I went through, right? Because you're looking at it from a business perspective. But from an from a end user customer perspective, I have everything in, a, in an app now. Or yeah. I have videos, you know, I have, uh, you know, digital signatures that I can place on things that, like I said before, like, the process of paperwork and getting paper out of a business process, that was my favorite thing about the business, the buying process. And that's a step that businesses can take right now. If like, if you're not in the real estate business and you're listening to Nate and you're like, yeah, but I'm in the plumbing industry. Okay. How can you change your customer experience and customer buying experience so that you eliminate some of that stupid paperwork? Because oh, sure. That's the biggest, that, to me, that's the biggest thing. Now I'm the customer side of things, right? So in terms of communicating with your team, did you see a lapse in communication maybe in the beginning or is it still going on or was there any sort of lapse in communication or did you see that you guys were communicating more regularly or what was the communication side of this? You know, it, it, the cool thing is, and to your point, I mean, the experience now, to backtrack really quick, uh, the experience now is is so much better, and 
no, no joke. We get feedback from people that said, Hey, we had a lot of phone calls with people wanting to buy our house, but you guys were willing to do it virtual. And we just really didn't want to meet with anybody. It was convenient. Yeah. You made it simple. It was streamlined. And I use the analogy of Amazon people. Amazon might not always have the cheapest prices, but because it's so freaking convenient, mm-hmm. people use them. And I try to kind of mirror that model there. Uh, but in regards to communication internally, we were fully virtual that way always. Uh, I never had a brick and mortar business. I'm kind of, I don't want to say anti-corporate America, but um, I'm just not looking to have this massive uh, building where hundreds of employees come. I think that I uh, always want my employees to have freedom. And I also want to be able to recruit from outside where I'm at because there's so much talent out there. Why would I take my talent pool that's here in the entire continental U.S. or even outside because I have folks that work for me uh, outside the U.S. and shrink it down to Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, that's shooting myself in the foot. So with that, have you been able to attract other talent from other businesses with with being remote, not having a brick and mortar? Or have you seen trends in that? Or are people looking to to be remote? Because I I feel like there are you're you're in a unique position here where you're dealing with like two different sides of the table, right? You're dealing with the trade workers that are saying like, hey man, this is a big change. And the, your internal team that are saying, hey, this is a big change for me. You know, like, I do, what do you mean I have to be remote? You know, so were there more people looking for that? The other side would be the the buyer, the home buyer. You have to convince them that this process, you know, that, or, or you the buyer and the seller, you know, right. that, that whole relationship, the buyer-seller relationship. And then there's the business side of things where you're communi- communicating with your team to say, hey, we got this. So how receptive was the business side of things, the people that you're working with, those relationships, were they as receptive, receptive to being remote? Oh my gosh, over the moon. Yeah. yeah. They were like, we don't have to go to an office. Yeah. And I ended up picking up uh, folks from other industries, insurance industry. Um, one of our acquisitions guy, uh, Devin, he came from the healthcare recruiting world. Um, and this really didn't, I mean, they'd had baseline knowledge about real estate, but it was one of their first ventures into real estate and came into this and just kind of killed it. Um, because they understood how to build rapport with people, how to this, how a sales cycle works and stuff like that. I can teach people about real estate. They just came in with the fundamentals. Um, and, you know, as far as the labor or, excuse me, the buy-sell, buyer-seller relationship, I think it comes back to communication. If you, if you start the conversation and you're perceiving as if you're going to do all this in person and you never set the stage, then sure, there's probably going to be some bumps on the road. But I am one of the first things we do is we tell people what we're not going to do. If I'm if I'm on the phone with someone, everyone wants to start with, here's what I'm going to do for you. Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm probably not going to come to the property. I'm not going to string this thing along. But here's what I need in return. And set that stage immediately. And you're going to get a lot of good respect because people respect that. But then people know what the next steps are and they're more likely to stay on timelines and stay on track with those. Did you grab those processes and automate them? Was that part of the initial process or like, what was your starting point there where you're like, we're creating this remote experience yeah, and we're going to turn it into what, how did you do that? You know, was it, was that where you focused your first intent? Like what was the starting point where you're like, 
how can we do this? Are we going to just automate as much as possible? Are we going to do this through email? Like, what, what was the starting point to say, hey, this is how we're going to build this remote business? I started from the top and just worked myself to the bottom. And I said, I have two ways I can go about doing this. I can try to do it all at once. And I have probably a 50-50 chance of it succeeding or blowing up in smoke. Or I can take it slow. Um, is production going to go down for a little bit? Probably so. But I can do one process at a time and just make damn sure that that process is bulletproof. And that's the way I route went. And because of that, did I still have to go back and redo some things? Yeah. But I also was able to really, really um, get things pretty accurate right out of the gate. Yeah. So I'm a big process guy where yeah. I think that I think that any any remote business uh, or any business in general really should have systems and processes in place. Whether you're physically filling out a checklist with a pen and pencil and then handing it to somebody or doing it digitally and then sending it off to somebody. I don't, I don't think that should really matter, uh, but the system should. You know, it yeah. shouldn't matter how you fill it out, but the system should be in play and everyone should understand it, right? And so with that in play, how, because how, you just mentioned something there that I think is important to harp on it where you said, um, is everything perfect, right? Is, is this exactly how I want it to be? Probably not. So to me, that means that you identify that there are some gaps and that you're reevaluating your systems and processes on, a, on some sort of a basis. How frequently do you do that? Have you done it? You know, like what, what's the process to say, this didn't run exactly the way that I thought it was going to? Do I need to change, pull the plug? Or, you know, what is your, uh, what's your thought process on that? So I kind of stagger between proactive and reactive. I guess, if you will, like if a problem keeps coming up and it's a consistent thing, all right, let's go back and let's look at the process. Like I have a process map for everything. So that way, if a new employee comes into the business, they know exactly who who's responsible for what, when to do it, and how it should be done. Um, before you break that down, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. before you break that, what, what, what do you use to make your process maps? Do you draw them out on a piece of paper or what do you use for those? I start with pen and paper and then after the fact, I'll upload it to different platforms like uh, a really popular one is monday.com. Yeah. Um, I think monday.com is really powerful for the um, real estate industry. A transaction coordination platform is called pre-close go. Okay. It's just kind of more relative to uh, that. But yeah. I start on pen and paper and then I move it over digitally. Cool. And then from the process, then you do what? I, so, I'm just trying to get you back on it. Cause you were, you were cooking there for a second and I'm like, before you dive in deep, because I can tell where you're going here, because I'm the same way, man, drawing, mapping, everything, dude. Yeah. I do it through Visio. Uh, that's the the Microsoft product of what you're talking about. But And then so you have the process map, and and then where do you go from there? So once I have the map, then you got to really, then the, the you implement it, right? So with the implement, with when you're implementing things, it's just always good to, to just really just kind of take a sample size, right? not saying this is exactly what we're going to do forever. I feel like try it, you know, and, and try it maybe a couple of different ways, split test some things. What way worked the best? What was the most convenient, not just for us, but also the end user, the seller in this particular case and uh, reevaluate it. 
You know, just because something works good today doesn't mean that it is the best way or will always be the best way. So I like to kind of self-reflect at least once a quarter, probably should be a little bit more, but self-reflect and just kind of look at the last, in my business, the last 10 deals, right? What went well and why did it go well? And more importantly, what didn't go good and why? You know, where was the breakdown? There was a breakdown somewhere and what systems can we put into place to mitigate that from happening again? Yeah, man. So in the tech industry, we call that sprint retrospective, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I did a whole series of podcasts on that exact topic that you're talking about right there, um, which is the agile process. So if you guys want to listen to that, go to the Innovari podcast and I'll, I nerd out on that for like six episodes, just exactly what you just talked about, where, you know, so in retrospective, the, there are there are four questions that you ask yourself in the tech industry. You say, what went right? What went wrong? What couldn't we do better? And what we what can we commit to or what are we going to try differently? Yeah. So you leave there with actionable steps. You talk about what went right. Hey, man, you know, like the the, the streamline, the customer says that, Getting the email on which phase in the home buying process they're at, awesome. Or in the build process, awesome. Or or whatever, right? And then what went wrong? Well, they wanted more pictures, or this part fell apart, or we didn't buy, we didn't get enough information here, or we bought too much materials. We need to track better. Okay, what can we try differently? Well, what if we, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Right. So where'd you learn that? Because I thought that that was like a tech industry thing. So where, where'd you pull that from? So um, before I got into real estate, um, when I got, I, I was in, I've always been kind of involved in business. I went in the military, got out and then got right into, I was like, I don't really want to go to college. So I ended up um, helping my family start a uh, gym in, in Virginia, in uh, Winchester it was our first location. And uh, we, pre-sold, no, no real experience in the fitness industry, but one of our partners had a lot of uh, business experience. And I learned a lot from him. And we, uh, so we pre-sold one gym. We pre-sold 500 members. We had three uh, employees, not including myself, so four in total that would do everything. And uh, over the next four and a half years, uh, through trial and error and uh, learning, we grew that to three locations, one satellite location, 15,000 members, and 120 employees. And through that, had a lot of business coach uh, development and or business coaches, rather. And I just kind of took the, the foundation of what I learned through that and applied it into this industry. And um, it really just kind of helped me out. So you mean that industries are cross-functional? Is that what you're saying? They are. Fundamentally, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine that. That is like one of the biggest things that that I have a takeaway from doing podcasts is that the more people that I talk to about systems and processes or, you know, business innovation or the, the, the previous podcast that I did was the Innovari podcast. And that was all about like innovation, startups, and it was like everybody that I interviewed had a similar background or similar story where it was like, I learned that I had to capture this and then go do that. Or I had yeah. to do, and it's like, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, these things apply. And whether you're talking about systems and processes 
for a remote real estate organization or you're talking about systems and processes for, you know, some tech startup. It's, this is what you need to do. You need to grab your processes right now, guys. You need to start drawing on napkins about how you want something to flow. And you said you're a military guy. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. S so SOPs, are those a big thing to you? They are. Yeah. yeah. They really are. I mean, and I think that that has a lot to, to do with what we do, what I do now on the, on the um, fix and flip things. You know, I, my contractors, they don't call me and say, hey, what flooring do you want? Or what cabinets do you want? Because I have a list. They know. Let's go back to the SOP. What flooring do we always use? What cabinets do we always use? What paint do we always use? You know, what level of, uh, of fixtures do we always use? Go get them. If there's nothing that's similar, sure, then call me. But I promise you there is. And that's how my phone isn't ringing 100 times a day asking, you know, hey, what toilet do you want? I don't care. Pick whatever the cheapest one is and, uh, and go for it. So with the paint, you have, do you, do you, like, how do you break that? Like, is it the one that we always use, right? Do you break it down by like, like, this is the product number that I want. These are the ones that I want. Or like how much leeway? Cause then you just said the toilet, right? Go get the cheapest one. Right. So I assume there are certain areas where you have standardized and other areas where you have leniency. Right. So like, what were, how did you identify those areas? So, um, good question. Uh, paint to answer the question. I always go with agreeable gray by Sherman Williams uh, with white trim. And that is just like it. Like people love it. I don't particularly like it. I think it feels kind of sterile, but again, I'm not flipping a house for me. Right. I'm flipping it for other people. And then as far as like stuff that I don't have leniency on, like flooring, like it has to be gray. It has to be uh, LVP flooring and it has to be somewhere in the $1.99 per square foot range. If they're out of one that we always use to stay within that wheelhouse toilets, a toilet, a $199 toilet and a $300 toilet isn't going to make someone be like, oh my God, I need this house, right? Mm -hmm. So like, that's kind of how I think about leniency versus this is stuff that we just do not deviate from. So you found your KPIs, so yeah. your key performance indexes, right? And you have, okay, these are the things that matter most to right. people. And yeah. toilet, toilets didn't make the list? Man. Didn't make the list. The old throne didn't make the list. Gosh. You know? I will say that I do recognize when I... Now, it's not when I'm buying a house. I did not sit on a single toilet in this house before I bought it. Um, but now I do appreciate the, the toilets. Now that 100%. Post-sale. Huge, huge importance. But yeah. like, think about how I, I reverse-engineered it. I'm buying a house, right? And what do I look for? I walk on the floors. Are they nice? I open the cabinets. Do they open nice? Um, are the windows upgraded or are they not? You know, little things like that. And in little things that I just don't really, I, I didn't pick apart. And that's kind of yeah. how I came up with that stuff. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, yeah. one thing that became a big part of me was the faucets. Oh yeah. How much attention do you pay to faucets? Is that, uh, does that make your list? Kind of. Matte yeah. black, you know, I go with the matte black finishes all the way around throughout. And a nice a nice faucet, it really matters the most in the kitchen. Yeah. And, and so when you're building all these things out, right, you have a specific look that you're trying to identify, because that's what it sounds like. From, from, what I sound, from what it sounds like to me is your customer experience is built around a specific look that is unique to your, your brand. 
Yes and no. Yeah. So, I mean, I have um, staples for sure. You know, the paint color, the flooring color, the the landscaping that's non-negotiable. But whenever I buy a house in an area, the first thing that I do is I go in that neighborhood and I look what has sold in the last six months and what do they do? You know, I'm looking for the houses that sold in, in one under contract in three days for above ask. What did they do? What level of finish did they do? I'm looking for commonalities. And then I'll send that to my contractor and say, hey, still run with our SOPs on X, Y, and Z, but they did X, Y, and Z on this. Let's mirror that. And I would budget, I'll budget that in because it's, you know, it worked. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's part of that continuous monitoring, right? Continually okay. trying to get it better. Understanding the systems and processes, how they work, sticking to your core, and yeah. then un- understanding and learning from the metrics around you on how to do better. So, dude, I can nerd out on that right there alone for the next yeah, week. Me too. I always tell people, when, when our coaching students, when they come to me and they have you know these questions, I'm like, what did the data say? Yeah. Data doesn't lie. Emotion does. So yeah. let's make all of our uh, decisions based on, a, on data and that alone and then run with it. It makes decisions a lot easier when you have it stick yeah. sitting in front of you. And then on the other side of things is your core values. So if I, don't, if I don't understand my core values and I don't understand the data, then um, core values speaks to the emotion side. What would we do? Yeah. You know, what decision, you know, does it fit with who we are and what we hold near and dear to our heart? And then the data side, knowing what we hold near and dear to our heart, how can we make a data-driven decision? You know, what yeah. are the analytics, right? Absolutely. So, man, uh, I'm going to start asking everybody this question. Okay. And so how has remote work changed your life? Man. <laughs> it is it's so much. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to use one example because this was like, for me, it was like, holy crap, this is real. Because um, it was it was a process, right? We talked about it in the beginning. It didn't come out of the gate as uberly successful and without fault. And it's like, why didn't I do this, you know, 10 years ago? But the, the biggest thing for me was, I'll never forget it. I was on vacation in St. Martin, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, great island. If anyone's never been, go. And um, I sold one of our flips that we had. I had bought fully virtual, renovated fully virtual, and sold it while I was there in St. Martin. And it was for like a forty-seven, no, excuse me, fifty-seven thousand dollar profit. And I was sitting on the beach doing it. I'm like, this is real. It's like this is not a fluke. This is something that is real. And right then and there, I was like, I need to create a education platform to teach people how to do this because more people deserve to be able to do this. And giving back to me is huge. And that's where I came up with the idea to start an education platform. Dude, I love it. I love it so much because everything that you're talking about is just like giving back your life. Right? Yeah. So that's a lot of what it is that we do here is to just open the door to exactly what you're talking about. You want to work from a beach, you want to work from the mountains, you want to work from your son's t-ball game. Yeah. Like, take your life back. There are ways to do it. You might have to get a little creative. You might have to amend a couple of different things. And it might be, it might not be the easiest thing you've ever done, but on the other side of the systems and processes, on the other side of changing the way that your business functions and flows through all that work, is a beautiful life that you get to enjoy with your with your friends and families. And, oh, yeah. and I don't know about you, but I like being home for dinner. Yeah. That that's yeah. my favorite part is that when I was not working remote, 
I didn't always, that was a phone, that's a real phone call. Hey, are you going to be home for dinner? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I got to see traffic or if I'm taking the train or, you know, it didn't, but it was a conversation oh, that, yeah. that didn't always end the way that my family wanted it to. Sure. And I think it's little, I mean, it's, it's cool to hear, you know, working from the beach and stuff like that. Um, but little things like that, I mean, it's huge, you know, it's, it creates a better home life. It creates a better relationship with yourself, your family, your significant others. And it's possible for everyone, regardless of your industry, to be able to do this. It just takes getting probably a little creative, sometimes a lot creative, figuring out who has done it, right? Don't maybe not try, maybe don't try to do it yourself. Who do I know in my space that is virtual? And how do I get close to them? Proximity is power. How do I add value to them so that way they can add value to me? And then it's going to create just a better relationship all the way around for you, your family, and your everybody. Yeah, man. Dude, you're speaking speaking my language, man. So before we head out, before we put a bow on this, uh, tell people where they can find you and how they can contact with you. Yeah. So um, my website is currently down. However, you can go when it is up and up and running here in the next week or so. You can go www.stagmountainproperties.com. Mountain is abbreviated MTN. Uh, MTN, excuse me, so stagmountainproperties.com or find me on Instagram, the REI Nate, um, and I'm on Facebook too. Just type in Nate Hirschberg and probably one of the only ones on there. Nice. Well, Nate, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter the industry, that if you stick to the core values and you stick to, core, to the core business principles around remote work, that any industry can do it. And I appreciate you hanging out, man. Dude, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. So guys, there it is. More proof, more social proof that it doesn't matter your industry that you can do this and we can help you. So if you're looking for what Nate and I were just nerding out on for the last 40 some minutes, hit me up. Go to capitalpresence.com. You, you can take a look at some of the free resources that we have available to you. You can take a look at our YouTube channel where we talk about how to take the first step in designing some of these systems and processes to make sure that you never miss dinner again, that you're at every single t-ball baseball game that you want to do. Or if you want to be like Nate and go work from St. Martin, which is a beautiful island, I do recommend you go. Been there twice. It's fantastic. And you can take your computer on with you, work there, and then, you know, maybe never leave. Come back if you want, but you might not have to. So, guys, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate your time, as always. You, you, uh, you can check us out at the Work Wherever podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Um, we are building a new website, but it'll be our new home. It'll be goworkwherever.com. So be on the lookout for that. Until next time, guys. See ya.